There we go. There we go. All right. Colossians chapter number two. Colossians chapter number two. Uh, we are going to be in verse 16. I've got like a ton of material that I pray to God that we'll be able to get through all of it tonight. We're going to try. Um, and I, I try to thin it down, but I'm not real good at that. <clears throat> so we'll just try to go through as much as we can. And if we get done, we get done. If we don't, uh, we've got next week. Amen. We've got till uh, uh, Jesus comes back. All right. Uh, Colossians chapter number two and verse number 16. If you found your spot, say amen. amen. Let's see. Let me put this down. All right. Let's go. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind." And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using. After the commandments and doctrines of men... Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Let's, let's pray and we'll get started here this evening. All right. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for, Lord, the, the churches you've already supplied to plant. Lord, I thank you so much for the people who have, uh, uh, Lord, they have taken this on. They, they are wanting to see a great thing from a great God. Lord, we are going to expect great things from you and we're going to attempt great things for you. And I pray right now that you'll just bless the study. Uh, Lord, you know what we've covered and you know what we need to cover tonight. I pray, Lord, that you will just touch and help us as we grow, as we learn, as we discern your word. I pray your perfect will be done. And God will thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Church, say amen. 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 All right, you can be seated. You can be seated there at Fairview. Uh, uh, I I, I need to know who left the refrigerator door open. Man, this is supposed to be summertime. Amen. Oh, my goodness gracious. What? I guess one of the, I did talk to, uh, or I seen a message from Brother Steve Hubbard, my buddy in Ohio, and uh, they had a, a, about two or three inches of snow uh, this morning. So we didn't get that, thank Jesus. Amen? All right, all right. Now, here, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's kind of do a, a, a short review of last week. And because we well, look at the, look at the, look at the first or the, actually the fourth word in verse 16, let no man, all three of you, come on people. All right. It says, let no man, everybody say it at Fairview too. Let no man, therefore. Now, when you see the word therefore, you go back and read before and find what it's there for. Are y'all with me? That's how you study that. In other words, because of what he's already told you in the verses previous, this is why you need to do what he's fixing to tell you. 
Now, so let's just do a small, small review of last week. What did we learn last week? We learned that we had a complete salvation. Are you glad of that? In other words, when, when Jesus saves you, he completely saves you. He saves you all the way. Not half of you, not some of you, not a quarter of you, but he saves you completely. When Jesus died on the cross, uh, Brother Mickle, it was finished. Jesus did everything necessary completely to provide for your salvation. And when you accepted Christ, you received Christ, you got everything you needed. He saved you all the way. Somebody say amen. You got a complete salvation. You are completely saved. You don't have to believe in Christ and then do this and do that. You don't have to believe in Christ and have this or have that. You got saved completely. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, we have complete salvation. We have complete forgiveness. We learned last week in the verses before, we learned that we are completely saved. That Jesus took our entire debt and nailed it to his cross, completely paid the penalty for our sin, completely paid the debt that we owed. We have no debt, period. Period. I am, I, God the Father looks on every child of God as if they had never sinned. That's how forgiven you are. The word that is used, the biblical word that we use is justified. Say it with me. When you get saved, when you believe in Christ, you receive him as your savior, you are justified. Say that with me. You are In other words, when you stand in God's presence, you are justified. I love a a, a little phrase that was given me a long time ago when I was a kid. I heard a preacher say this, justified means just if I had never sinned. That's how God sees me because of what Jesus did on the cross. Are y'all with me? We have a complete salvation. We have a complete forgiveness. We have a complete victory. We learned last week we have a complete victory. It's done. It's complete. We have conquered. We have conquered the the enemy. You know, we have an adversary, the devils, as a roaring lion. Jesus completely conquered him. Say amen. Now, because of all that, because of all that, we can go into verse 16 through 23 and have confidence in what he's fixing to tell us, all right? Does that make sense? Because of all the rest of chapter number one that we covered last week, and I'm not gonna take the time to do it because I got way too much to cover tonight, but because of all of that, we can be confident in what Paul is telling us here in verses 16 through 23. Now, there are basically three different, uh, three different processes of teaching that he is trying to refute. Three different areas of false teaching, I guess, if you want to use it that way. The first one is legalism. He is wanting to try to uh, uh, refute the legalism that they were trying to bring in to the church at Colossae. And and we'll go into that in just a minute, but let me give you the other two real quick, and and then then we'll cover them. He is dealing with a, a legalistic group. He is dealing with mysticism. Say that with me. He's dealing with mysticism and we'll we'll talk about that and then asceticism asceticism don't even try to say it you'll mess it up 
I've tried to say it all day and get it right. You know, the ascetics, the asceticism, and, and we'll, we'll get into that and, and see who these people are. And really, really the false teachers in Colossae took all three of these different uh, areas of thought and tried to mix it all together and create, this is like a super Christianity. Now they still believe that you need to believe in Jesus and have faith in Jesus, but you got to have Jesus and. You got you to put your faith in Jesus and. Now, let's not even talk about these three. If you ever hear anybody tell you you have to believe in Jesus and, stop right there. You don't, even have to, you don't even have to listen to anything else they've got to say. You don't even have to, you can just stop right there because there is no Jesus and. Period. Jesus is enough. That's the whole point of this whole letter of, of Colossians is that Paul is telling them that when you've got Jesus, you've got enough. The moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, you've got Jesus and Jesus is enough. Now, let's, let's jump into uh, uh, point number one, and we'll, we'll look at legalism first. We'll look at legal. And by the way, all three of these, all three of these, not as much in the third one, somewhat, because the third one is kind of similar to legalism. Uh, you'll see that somewhat today, but really one and two, you find a lot in the day we're living in today. He first warns against legalism. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of a Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So we're going to look at those two verses in the first point. Now, Thomas Schreiner, this is how he kind of tried to explain legalism to help us understand it in a simple way. Legalism exists when people attempt to secure righteousness in God's sight by what? Legalists believe that they can earn or merit God's approval by performing the requirements of the law. A legalist believes that their good works and obedience to God affects their salvation or sanctification. Now, what does that mean? And you'll, you'll even have subtle, you'll even have subtle, subtle legalists who they say, well, you get saved by faith. You get saved by faith, but to please God, you got to perform. You got to live a certain way. You got to do this. You got to do that. Uh, you got to, you got to cut your hair a certain way. You got to wear your, your outfit a certain way. You got to do that. And, and it's all, and then they have this whole list of rules and that's wrong too. That's wrong too. Legalism is dangerous. Legalism has a tendency to cause pride because legalism gives you a way to measure yourself against someone else. Are y'all with me? Never determine the level of your spirituality by the level of someone else's spirituality because it's not someone else that you're going to be measured up to. It's going to be Christ. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah had a problem with this. Isaiah, in the first few chapters of Isaiah, he was woeing everybody. He was damning everybody. Woe unto thee. Woe unto y'all. Woe unto him. Woe unto her. And then he had an experience. He came face to face with God. He said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled with him. He saw the glory of God. And then you know what he said? Woe is 
If you see somebody always criticizing somebody else or always putting somebody else down, always woeing somebody else, you might want to look out. Because when somebody has a true experience with God, they can't see nobody else's flaws. They can't see nobody else's sins but their own. Amen. Amen. Listen, number one, or A, A, I want you to see the teaching he shares. The teaching he shares. The teaching he shares. He says, don't let nobody judge you. The word judge means to discern, to decide. In other words, don't let another human being determine your spiritual condition. Don't let them decide whether you're spiritual or not by what their list of rules can consist of. Now, here's the thing. The flesh is weak when it comes to doing spiritual things. How many of y'all can agree with me on that? If you don't believe it, Try to read your Bible in bed and see how fast you go to sleep. <laughs> Wake up early to pray for an hour and see, see what happens. When it comes to spiritual stuff, our flesh is very weak. Jesus said, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Right? But watch this. But it is very strong. The flesh is very strong when it comes to practicing religious rules and regulations. Somehow, adhering to religious routine inflates the ego and makes a person content in his self-righteousness. Yeah, God help, sure enough. That's how the Pharisee could sit in the temple and say, I'm glad I'm not like this publican over here. Publican over there got his face buried in the altar and saying, woe is me, God, I'm not even worthy to be here. And that Pharisee is looking at his robe and he's looking at his attire. He's looking at all the rules that he's kept. And he says, I look pretty good next to. Now, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but I, I, I grew up with this group. I know I was raised around them. And on the outside, they look great, just like the Pharisees. He said, you, you know, on the outside, you look like a, a sepulcher. It's white marble, real beautiful. But on the inside, it's nothing but full of. Listen, the women will come in with a dress down to the floor. The men come in with a suit and tie on. And they'll gossip, got a gossiping tongue that this whole altar couldn't hold. Yeah, I said it. On the outside, they look great. But on the inside, you see bitterness. You see, you see self-righteousness. You see a judgmental attitude because legalism doesn't do anything but feed the flesh. It, it increases a person's self-righteous attitude. They think they're being more spiritual because they have more rules that they follow. Amen? Amen. They think they're more spiritual because they don't do everything everybody else does. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't run with those who do. I talk right, I walk right, I dress right, and I spit white. Say amen. <laughs> Y'all know I'm saying that because I heard that one day. I grew up with that. And they judge their spirituality by what they do or don't do compared to what somebody else does or doesn't do. Well, that's what was happening here at Colossae. They were causing the baby Christians and new Christians to feel inferior and not spiritual, even to the point of doubting their salvation because they, listen, you've got to do this other stuff too. 
And most of the legalism was some of the Jewish rules and Jewish laws that were given. And we're going, we're going to talk about some of them. Matter of fact, he lists them. So here's what I want you to see. In Paul's teaching in these verses, first we see the basis for our freedom. The basis for our freedom. Why can we say we don't have to sacrifice a goat? We don't have to keep the Sabbath day. We don't have to uh, not eat shrimp or not eat pork. Are y'all with me? Why, why, why is that? Why can we say, what's the basis of that freedom? Well, Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him, talking about Christ, talking about Christ, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, what? In other words, when Jesus came, he was all God in the flesh. Does that make sense? And so whatever he said went. We have him completely. Colossians 2, 14. Look what he did. Look what he did. Verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances. The ordinances was all the laws and regulations that the Jewish people had to follow that was given to them in Mount Sinai. Are y'all with me? Say amen. As far as the kosher food, you can eat this, but you can't eat that, right? You can, you can do this, but you can't do that. All of these regulations, we're freed from that. We're freed from that. Jesus delivered us from all of those things. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, number two, I want you to see the bondage of legalism. We see the basis for our freedom, but then we see the bondage of legalism. He begins to talk about really two things, diets, the legalistic diet. He says, look, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy day or in a new moon or the Sabbath day. Now, let me be specific so it'll make sense. Don't let somebody tell you you're not spiritual because you ate a bacon sandwich. Are y'all with me? I will eat a bacon wrapped pork chop. Are y'all with me? With barbecue pork on the side. Shrimp as an appetizer. Say amen. Preacher, why are you saying all that? Because they couldn't eat none of that stuff. That's why they're so irritable. Say amen. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm trying to wake some of y'all up. Y'all sleep. Watch this. Watch this. Look under legalistic diet. The legalistic regulations had to do with foods and with eating and drinking, partaking or abstaining. Under the Old Testament system, certain foods were classified as clean or... And you can see that list in Leviticus 11. But Jesus made it clear that of itself, food was neutral. It was about what came out of the heart that made a person spiritual or unspiritual. Jesus was confronted with this and he said, man, don't you understand? Food may go in the mouth, but it'll go through the stomach and out into the sewage or out in the drought, the Bible says. All right. It doesn't make you spiritual or not spiritual. He says, what will make you unspiritual is the garbage that comes out of your mouth. Not what goes in your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And what Jesus is saying is if you, you think because you think you're going to be more spiritual if you eat this or don't eat this. What, watch what it says in 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. But meat commendeth us not to God. In other words, it doesn't bring us any closer to God. 
if you eat a certain meat or don't eat a certain meat. For neither if we eat are we the... Neither if we eat not are we the... Does that make sense? There's no, there's no regulation on diet. Peter had to learn this the hard way. You know, Peter saw the vision, saw the, the unclean meat, and God told him to eat it. He's no, 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 because he had been kosher his whole life. And God showed him it was okay. And, and, and Paul even told Timothy, listen, as long as you take it with thanksgiving, it's good to eat. Roll on. Say amen. amen. I tell you what, I'm so glad for the New Testament. <clears throat> Amen? And so don't let somebody judge you and what you... And, and there are people out there. There are people that try to stick to... Now, let me say this. Let me say this. If you decide to stick with a Jewish dietary law where you don't eat shrimp or catfish or, or pork or any of these things that's listed as unclean in the Bible because you feel like it's healthy, that's fine. Rock on. Don't eat no shrimp. Don't eat no pork. Uh, don't, eat, don't eat catfish, Okay. Uh, but don't judge somebody else's spirituality if they sit down and chow down. Okay? Does everybody understand that? That's what he's saying. They were determining whether they were closer to God by the diet, and it was a Jewish diet, so they were bringing in Judaism and mixing it with their Christianity. That does not work. Say amen. All right? So they were trying to get them... To be in bondage to diets, okay? But not only diets, but days. Legalistic days. The legalistic system not only involved a diet, but also days. Once again, this was borrowed from the laws given through Moses. The Old Testament Jew was commanded to keep the weekly Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week. The Jews also had their feast days. And their special new moon celebrations. Their religion was tied to the calendar. So what, what these false teachers were trying to do is say, believe in Jesus, but you got to still do all of these things that is, is uh, uh, regulated to the Judaism and to what Moses gave on Mount Sinai. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. You got to keep the Sabbath days. You got you to do all of these things. Now, now. We see that that is bondage. Now, why do we not have to do that? Let's, let's talk about the Sabbath day. Let's talk about the Sabbath day. He, he lists that here in, in verse, number, verse number 16. He said the diet, meat and drink, or in respect of a holy day or a new moon or the Sabbath days. Uh, here's, here's, let me give you just a few things about the Sabbath day. <clears throat> I was, in, I was in, uh, in the barbershop and I was sharing... Of my story track and witnessing to those in the barbershop. Now I was giving it to different ones. Well, the one guy knew where I was from. I, I, I don't know whether he just recognized me or, or just knew because we had taught. He may, must have heard Temple or something in there. I don't know. Uh, but I went, I said, sir, would you, would you mind reading my story when you get a chance? He said, I don't need that. I said, okay, no problem. He said, y'all don't go to church on the right day. And when he said that, I knew where he was going with that. Uh, uh, basically... Uh, we're going to hell because we do church on Sunday and not on the Sabbath day. And so he is still mired in, in the, uh, he's still mired in the bondage of days and holy days and, and regulations given to the Jewish people. Now, Paul clearly says right here, we're not in bondage to that. We don't, if we wanted to just bow up and have church on Thursday night, 
guess what? It's all good. There is no regulation, there is no rule in the New Testament that says you have to have church on any specific date. Now, we do it on the Lord's Day. It's called the Lord's Day. In, in, in Revelation, Revelation 1, when, when John, remember when he was on the Isle of Patmos? He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And we know that to be Sunday. One of the only times that, the, that we, we see a record of a New Testament church service, it was on the first day of the week. It was on Sunday. And it's in commemorating the Lord's resurrection. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, let me just give you a few other things. Why we don't have church on the Sabbath. All right. Now, but if we wanted to, if we wanted to have church on Saturday, we could have church on Saturday. There is no regulation. But to say you're wrong if you don't, that's where you're wrong. Somebody say amen. amen. First of all, the Sabbath, now you don't have this in your notes, so y'all just have to listen up. Just, I, I didn't have two full pages and I didn't have no more room for else, so just listen. The Sabbath was the sign to, the old, to Israel of the Old Covenant. Because we are now under the New Covenant, we are no longer required to keep the sign of the Old Covenant. Secondly, the New Testament nowhere, say that with me, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. Not one single verse in the New Testament tells you to observe the Sabbath. Thirdly, in our only glimpse of an early church worship service in the New Testament, Acts 20, verse 7, we find the church meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. So there's an example for us to follow. Fourth, we find no hint in the Old Testament that God expected the Gentile nations to observe the Sabbath. Nor are there ever... Uh, condemning, or nor are they ever condemned. Talking about Gentile nations, nor are they condemned for failing to do so. Which is certainly strange if he expected all people to observe the Sabbath. Fifth, there is no evidence of anyone keeping the Sabbath before the time of Moses. Nor are there any commands to keep the Sabbath before the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Sixth, in other words, the Sabbath was for the nation of Israel specifically given to them to set them apart as his chosen people. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Sixth, the Jerusalem council, the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 did not impose Sabbath keeping on the Gentile believers. Seventh, Paul warned the Gentiles about many different sins in his epistles, the letters in the New Testament, but never about breaking the Sabbath. Eighth, Paul rebuked the Galatians for thinking God expected them to observe special days, including the Sabbath. That's in Galatians 4, 10, and 11. Ninth, Paul taught that keeping the Sabbath was a matter of Christian liberty. If you want to keep it, keep it. If you don't, fine. Either way, you're not more spiritual if you do, and you're not less spiritual if you don't. Amen. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. That's pretty free, isn't it? That's pretty free. Uh, listen, here, here's the thing. We get so, we, we, I don't know why we like bonded so much. I don't know why we like rules and regulations so much. And we get so tied to it and tradition causes us to lose our minds. Say amen. amen. We had, we had, right after we, I say right after, it was a while after we had started life groups, we had run out of room. Uh, on this side of the building, on that side, uh, where our uh, Sunday school space was, uh, most of y'all that was here during that time, you remember this, we, we borrowed money to build the upstairs. 
And, and it wasn't just a matter of months, six or seven months. We'd already had more people. that we, we didn't have no more room. We couldn't fit anybody else out there, and we were broke. So we couldn't borrow no more money, so we said, okay, instead of having uh, your traditional Sunday school like normal, uh, 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 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to do life groups where we're meeting in homes and restaurants. In other words, this is, we're not going to let our space problem slow us down from people gathering together and ministering one to another. Well, man, just a few months after that, we already had way more people than we could ever fit back in this building uh, because of space problems. Well, uh, my, my, my wife was uh, working in the foyer. Uh, she was in there, I think, mopping the floor or something. And, and a guy from a church in town uh, came by and, and just, just with an attitude. I wish I'd have been mopping. I really do. Or, or Brother Mickle. Brother Mickle could have got away with this. I probably couldn't. But as a deacon, he could have done this. <clears throat> He could have popped him right in the jaw. Say amen. And we would have all forgave him. Amen. I would have had to resign, but he could have stayed on. Amen. He, I mean, this guy, he, he, he said, do y'all have Sunday school? Well, Tammy, she's nice and a lot more Christian than I am. She tried to calmly say, well, this is how we, well, I'm just asking you, do you have Sunday? Like real point being, point being, he was looking down on our church because we didn't have a traditional time Sunday school. Like there's a chapter and verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt have Sunday school. There ain't, a, there ain't a verse that says you have to have Sunday school. All right, number one. Number two, there's not a single verse that tells you where you have to have it. Number three, it, doesn't, it ain't none of his business because he don't even go here. She should have took that mop hand. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She shouldn't. She did the right thing. She really did. She did the right thing. But do you see what I'm saying? It's so easy for us to get so caught up in what we've always done to make it the gospel. And so they were so tied in to the way they had done things forever in their Judaistic way. They said, you've got to do this. Well, guess what? No, they didn't. That's bondage. You're trying to put a rule on them that God never intended them to have. And by the way, bondage will hinder growth. It will hinder growth. And so he's telling them, look, it doesn't matter. Don't let somebody judge you according to days, holy events, and all of these kind of things. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, now, we're fixing to get something cool right here. And we're probably never going to get out of point number one. I can see we're, we're, we're getting close. So, uh, but this is really good. This is really good. Watch this here. First, he shares what they are not to do, right? Don't let anybody try to judge you or determine your spirituality by these things. Now, watch this. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. This doesn't mean that they won't try. You with me? This doesn't mean when you do something out of the traditional ordinary that you won't have some person try to judge you and try to determine your spirituality by what they still do and what you don't. Now, that's on him. 
But see, my wife was mature enough and seasoned enough as a Christian that she just kept mopping. Because she knew his opinion about what day or what ministry or what method of getting the Bible out to somebody was not unspiritual and was, it, his opinion about it mattered zero. Are y'all with me? But when you're a baby Christian, see where I'm going with this? When you're a baby Christian like these were in Colossae, oh my goodness, we didn't know that. We didn't know that we had to believe in Christ and get circumcised and, and still meet on the Sabbath and, and follow these festivals and, and, and fo- you see? And so it confused them. It caused them to doubt their salvation. It caused them to doubt whether Jesus was enough. Are y'all with me? That's why you got to know what you need to know. Because there's always, trust me, trust me, there is no shortages of people with opinions. And there is no shortages of people who want to tell you their opinion. Are y'all with me? But he says, don't, don't just keep, just keep on going. Don't worry about the diet. Don't worry about the special days. And now he tells you why. This is so good. This is great. This part is the, I'm telling you right here, this is good. And there's going to be another stuff that I don't have for you because it didn't have enough room. So he, he shares, don't let no man judge you. Just keep mopping. Look at your neighbor and say, just keep mopping. <laughs> That's the teaching he shares. Then B, the truth he shows. This is why. This is why you don't let somebody judge you according to Sabbath days and diets and all these things from the Old Testament. Look what he says. Look in verse 17. The meats, the drinks, the don't drink this, don't eat that. The holy days, the new moon, the Sabbaths, the festivals, the feasts, all these things. Verse 17 which are a, everybody say it, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Now watch this, watch this. Pay close attention, my fair view brethren. Let's say there's a light coming this way. Say there's a light coming this way. And there is an object That the light is coming behind. What's going to be out here? Everybody say it. Everybody Facebook, uh, Fairview, everybody Fairview and here. Say it with me. Everything in the Old Testament. Let's see. Let me, let me, let me, let me. I better not do. Yeah, I better. Let me find Matthew. Mm -hmm. All right. If you'll look, that's Malachi. That's the end of the Old Testament. Testament. All right, so Jesus comes in the Gospels, right? So Jesus is standing. He's standing in the New Testament, right? The light shining. 
What is this over here? But what is it in my Bible? Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is the the shadow. The shadow of what? Of Jesus. In other words, everything you see in the Old Testament is God pointing to Jesus. The shadow is not the substance. Jesus is the substance. In other words, everything you see in the Old Testament is just a picture of what's to Now, hallelujah. Let me say that again. Everything in the Old Testament is just a picture of, of what's to come or who's to come. And that's Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. I, I, I appreciate a beautiful picture of my wife. And, and when we were dating in a part, I had one that I looked at all the time. But I would much rather hug the substance than I would the picture. Now, when you're, when you're obeying the, the shadow when you're trying to follow those regulations and not eating pork and, and meeting on the Sabbath, you're just hugging a picture. When you could have the substance. That's what he's saying. Let me illustrate. It is good preaching, ain't it? It sure is. Look here. Watch this right here. Watch this here. Let's look at some of them. Let's look at some of the things that they were saying. You have to do this and you have to do that. And let's show how they're a shadow, right? The Passover. The Passover. All right. In Leviticus 23, 4 through 8, we see the, we see the Passover, the command to follow the Passover. Now watch everybody. Now this ain't, you don't have this. You don't have this. You don't have it. Look at me. Look at me. It, you see, it's that much material. So you ain't got it. Amen. All right. So just listen and don't come ask me for it after. Just go back and listen and write it down. Amen. Here we go. The Passover feast. The Passover feast remembers the last plague in Egypt when the angel of death passed over. The children of Israel who applied to the blood, they applied the blood of the lamb to the doors. The Israelites took a bundle of hyssop and dipped it in the blood in the basin at the threshold. Going up, they put it on the lintel and then touched the two sides of the frame. In other words, on the door they went. What's that look like? Uh-huh. Y'all catching it? You see the imagery? What did John the Baptist say? What did John the Baptist say when Jesus came walking down the riverbank? Behold, what? The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You see, that Passover, that Passover was a lamb that was dying so the people in the house wouldn't die. You see, the, the lamb had to die so that the judgment would pass over. And do you realize that when Jesus died, the very hour he was dying on the cross was the same time the priests were killing the Passover lamb in the temple. So what is it? All of those Passover lambs were just a pointing to Jesus. Jesus. 
Does that make sense? Now, now, the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread. This seven-day feast begins on the day following the start of Passover. All right? Is everybody with me? Passover, you have Passover, then you have seven-day feast. In their haste, the Israelites, in their hurry to leave Egypt, there was no time to add leaven or yeast to the bread. During this time, remembering the hardships in Egypt and how God freed them from captivity, the Jews eat nothing leavened. So during that feast, it's always unleavened bread. Leaven often represents sin and decay in the Bible. Once incorporated, the yeast becomes inseparable part of the bread. In other words, it affects the whole thing. How many of y'all cooks in here know that? The same is true for sin's effect on our lives. The Jews were constantly sacrificing, sacrificing unblemished animals to temporarily atone for sin. Only the Messiah, the perfect sinless sacrifice, could offer a permanent solution. The unleavened bread represents Jesus' sinless life. He is the only perfect sacrifice for our sins. Do you get me? The unleavened bread, there was no leaven. Sin always represented, or excuse me, leaven always represented sin. Jesus represented the unleavened bread or the unleavened bread represented Jesus. When Jesus came, he said, I am the bread of life. So when they had the unleavened bread and they served and ate the unleavened bread, it was just God saying, are y'all with me? The unleavened bread in the Old Testament was a shadow of the real thing. Does this make sense? And this is what Paul is trying to tell them. All that observing the stuff in the Old Testament, you're hugging a shadow. Why, why go backwards? That's like, that's like Tammy standing right here. And I, I've got Tammy. She's mine. I, and I'm over here hugging a pitcher. You say, that's ignorant. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When you think you're going to get closer to God by meeting on the Sabbath and not eating shrimp, you're hugging a picture. You already have the real thing. Amen. Here's another one. First fruits. First fruits. The feast of first fruits is one of the three Jewish harvest feasts to thank and honor God for all he provided. Although they didn't know it at the time, the children of Israel were celebrating what would become a very important day. Watch this now. Watch how this works. First fruits. First fruits. The priests sacrificed Passover lambs on the 14th day. What day? 14th day of the month Nisan. The first day of Passover was the 15th. The feast of first fruits was celebrated the third day. What day? Third. third day. The 16th of Nisan. This means this third day celebration was the same day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Amen. In, 
In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits of the dead. In other words, he represents the first of the great harvest of souls, including you and me, that will resurrect to eternal life because of the new covenant in the blood. So when they had the Passover, picture Jesus. When they ate the first fruits, picture of his resurrection. Are y'all seeing this? So when they had the Passover, they killed the Passover lamb. It was when Jesus was crucified. The, the lamb of God was taking away the sin of the world. The day he got up was the day they celebrated the new harvest. They would, you remember what we said about the first fruits? They would bring just a little bit of what was to come. Right? And Jesus, when he rose again, he was the first of many that would be resurrected. Wow. How about this one? Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. This is in Leviticus 23, 16. This feast is the second of the three harvest feasts. It occurs exactly seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits. So it's called Pentecost, which means 50 days. Okay, is everybody with me? That's why it's called that. It, it, it means what? 50 days. Traditionally, people were expected to bring the first harvest of grain to the Lord, including, watch this, including two leavened loaves of bread. Not unleavened, but two leavened loaves of bread. You see, God's plan to save souls included more than the Jews. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also. Two groups of people. Through Jesus, this plan was revealed. In Matthew 9.37, Jesus tells his disciples that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Then he put the plan into place. In Acts 1.4, he tells him to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And what day did he come? Pentecost. Are y'all with me? Pentecost. Watch this. That arrival was the day the church was born. Pentecost, and the harvest began with 3,000 souls. In other words, the message spread to both Jews and Gentiles, the two leavened loaves of bread, extending the harvest to us. You say, now why was the loaves leavened? Because Jews and Gentiles are sinners alike. You remember the sin... The leaven represented sin. So the unleavened bread represented Christ. The leavened bread, two loaves, represented Jews and Gentiles. Are y'all with me? So the Passover was a shadow of Christ. The unleavened bread was a shadow of Christ. The feasts are a shadow of Christ. It's all pointing to Jesus. Amen? I got some more. I got some more. Yeah, we'll never get out of, we'll never, we're just going to do point one tonight. <clears throat> the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. Leviticus 23, 24. Leviticus 23, 24. In a beautiful declaration, God commands his people to rest. During this time, all regular work is prohibited and the men and women present a food offering to God. 
In Leviticus 23, 24, God commands his people to gather and to commemorate the decree with trumpet blasts. On the same front, the sound of a trumpet is also associated with the what? Rapture. The rapture. At that time, Jesus will return for his bride. Once he returns, there will be a wedding feast of celebration. Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. He's preparing for us to celebrate. They blow a trumpet, everybody rests and enjoys a feast. Well, let me tell you something. 1 Thessalonians 4, I think it's 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with them in the clouds. Somebody say amen. amen. That's another shadow, another shadow. How about the day of atonement? The day of atonement, Leviticus 16, 23, 26 through 32. To make atonement is to make restitution for wrongs committed. As a day of humility and repentance to God, it was a time for the Jews to get their hearts, their consciences, their lives right before him. The observance involved the sacrifice of animals as the high priest entered the Holy of Holies. What the high priest did there couldn't, uh, excuse me, let me back up. What the high priest did there couldn't offer more than an annual payment for the sins of the people. However, hiding in plain sight was the promise of one who could atone for their sins permanently. Now, where is Jesus in these sacrificed animals? The bull and one of the goats was an offering for th- of thanks, but the scapegoat... The scapegoat took on their sins. The scapegoat was to be burdened with all the sins of Israel and sent into the wilderness. Listen, the Jewish leaders condemned Jesus and he burdened. What is it? He who knew no sin became sin. In other words, the innocent one, the scapegoat took all of our sin Upon himself. Are y'all with me? And what was? He was led out of the city to be crucified. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Guess what? The necessity of the day of atonement was rendered void by Jesus' death on the cross. Our debt has been Amen. Amen. Let me do one more. The Feast of Tabernacles or booths. It's when they would make a tent. Now I'm for this one. It's like camping and eating at the same time. Say amen. Leviticus 23, 34. You see, the celebration always follows the Day of Atonement. It always follows the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Tabernacles celebrates God's provision and protection for the people of Israel during their 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Watch what they did. For the seven days of the feast, people live in temporary structures, in other words, like a shelter outside. Instead of living in their permanent homes, they would build a a tent or a shelter outside, a, a, a temporary one, to remind them. 
remind them of their time coming out of Egypt. You see, in these temporary structures, just like they did in the wilderness, the Lord himself was with the Israelites in the desert in a tented temple called the tabernacle. So the feast also celebrates his presence as he tabernacles or dwells with us. Are y'all with me? In other words, everywhere that they went, God went with them. And he wasn't in a permanent temple. He was in a temporary tabernacle. Are y'all with me? Now watch. Jesus, hallelujah, Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He, hallelujah, God put on a temporary tabernacle, a human body to dwell on this earth and offer himself as a sacrifice. This feast also points to the promise that God will return and rally with his people in the person of Jesus. And when he does, he has promised that there will be no more death and suffering that he himself shall wipe away every tear from our eyes. His return is the final answer to the hope we've carried our entire lives. What a day that will be. Now here's the point of the whole thing. Why hug a picture? When you got the real thing. You see, those false teachers thought they were more spiritual because they were hanging out in the Old Testament. When actually, if I go from the real thing to a picture, I'm going backwards. That is not making me more spiritual. It's making me Does that make sense? Don't think you have to wear a certain outfit to be spiritual. I've seen preachers stand in a pulpit with a suit I could never afford and flop. And I've seen old men of God in overalls. Stand up with the anointing dripping off of them. Don't let somebody determine your spirituality by their set of rules. Now we know specifically he's dealing with old Judaism. Circumcision, we covered that last week. These ceremonial laws. They were trying to mix Judaism and Christianity. He says, forget all that junk. All you need is Jesus. Preacher, what do I need? You need Jesus, the book, and spend time reading it in prayer. That's all you need. That's all you need. You don't need nobody else's opinion. You don't need nobody else's revelation. And we'd have got to that tonight, but we run out of time. We'll get to that next week. Don't let somebody make you feel inferior because they've heard from God. 
Most of the people that have heard from God ain't picked up their Bible in months. They heard, but it wasn't from God. Because God will speak to you through that book. 